This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to thank you again for having me two weeks in a row. Uh, thank you. Um, you made us feel welcome, um, and uh, I've enjoyed getting to know uh, many of you. Um, Let's consider, as we begin, let's consider the case of Nadab and Abihu. Do you know who Nahab and Abihu were? Aaron's sons. Aaron, of course, was Moses' brother. And uh, he was the first high priest after the giving of the law. And Nadab and Abihu were his sons. They were supposed to be priests following after the line of, of Aaron. And uh, they, at, at, in one of the stories about them, they had offered up an incense. They had burned some kind of sacrifice to God that was different from the way in which God had prescribed it to be done. And the Lord killed them. They were attempting to worship the one true, God, one true God, but they were doing it in a different way than God had revealed to them. Uh, the, the text calls it, uh, in some versions, strange fire. They offered up a strange fire, and God killed them for it. Again, let's consider another case. Uh, the the uh, Ark of the Covenant was being moved. And as the Ark of the Covenant was being moved, you know, there were special instructions for doing so, and it was not supposed to be touched. God, God gave commandments that the, the Ark was not supposed to be touched. And as, as it looked like the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall, and a priest reached out to save it from falling, and God struck him dead. This seems strange to us. He was wanting to do something good. He was wanting to, to uh, uh, hold it up instead of letting it to fall down. And, and yet God struck him dead because he did not obey what God had commanded. These things are written for our instruction. Paul, he said the things that were written of, of old were written for our instruction. And what these things do is they should shock us into seeing how God demands that we worship Him the way that He has prescribed. He does not want us coming to Him any other way than the way that He has told us to come to Him. And lest we think this is something just from the Old Testament, let's consider a few New Testament cases. We think of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, those, that couple in the early church, they had seen how someone else had sold a field and they had given all the proceeds to the church and they were uh, praised for it. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that. They thought they'd cut in on the action. <laughs> they thought they would uh, be able to do the same kind of thing. And so they sold a field and they gave part. And they lied. And God took that so seriously that he struck these two people dead. We also consider the case of Jesus in the temple. 
whenever the, the people were making the temple into a marketplace. What did he do? That was the one time we saw Jesus was angry. He flipped over the tables and he cast out the money changers. We see also as uh, um, Paul gives instructions about the Lord's Supper. He, he, he gives that warning against taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. He says, it's for this reason that some of you are sick and some have even died for taking the Lord's Supper wrong. God takes seriously how we approach him. God takes seriously how we approach him. That's what the focus of our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is. Let's read it. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you have not left us to feel around in the dark. Lord, you have not left us just to try to figure you out on our own. Lord, you have revealed through your word how we can know you. How, can we, how we can approach you. How we can have forgiveness of our sins. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that you would make us a people who are humble and contrite and who tremble at your word. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. As I've said, God cares how we approach Him. He has revealed how we are. In the Old Testament, it was that way. He, he gave the sacrificial system. And, and all of that, as, as the passage in Colossians said, was pointing forward. It was a, a type, it was a symbol that pointed forward to Jesus Christ. And God cares, even in the New Testament, how we approach Him. He wants to be worshipped in the way that He has prescribed. 
We're to be careful when we approach God. We are not to come to God willy-nilly, haphazardly. We come to God carefully. He says then, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. You might ask the question, what is the sacrifice of fools? Well, it's put in contrast there with to draw near to listen. I think he's probably got in mind communication here. To draw near to listen. When we come to worship, we come to listen. We come to hear from God. We ought not to come to worship to show off. We ought not to come to worship to show how much we know. We ought not to come to worship to put attention on ourselves. To just spout off. I think those are ways that we could offer the sacrifice of fools. But instead, he says, to draw near to listen. We come to receive. We come to hear from God. That's that's why preaching is so central to Christian worship. We come to hear from God's very Word. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Just like Nadab and Abihu. They thought they were worshiping the true God, yet they were doing it in a way that God had not revealed. And they didn't know they were doing evil. Here, the preacher tells us, those who offer the sacrifice of fools, they don't know they're doing evil. We're not given the liberty to come and make up how we do worship. To just do anything that comes to our mind. To just do anything that we think, well, this would be a great thing to do in worship. So often our worship, if you can call it that, boils down to entertainment. That's not what worship is supposed to be. We're not supposed to just be here about entertainment, but we're here to hear from God. I think this affects also the preacher, the one who brings God's word. I I think this is, is is a good verse to point to that says we need to do expository preaching. <laughs> right, Jason? <laughs> we need to do expository preaching. If we just pick a topic and just come up with all the verses that we think, talk about that topic and arrange it in our own systematic way, it would be very, very easy just to have our own prescribed ideas, preconceived ideas about how, what this means, and then find Bible verses to back up what we, what the preacher thinks. But if we really want to hear from God, we take what the Bible says and we proclaim what the Bible says. And that's one way we draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter word before God. 
We come into the presence of a holy God. We don't want to just start babbling. It's kind of like what Jesus said when we pray, don't pray like the heathens. Don't pray just uh, long prayers wanting to, to, to hear, be, be heard by God because of our many words or, or just to be uh, repeating things over and over and over again. Vain repetition? No. We come to Him and we think about what we're saying. Be not rash with your mouth. Or let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I think maybe God likes short sermons. <laughs> let your words be few. He has a lot more to say than I do. I once had a, uh, one of the greatest compliments that I could get from, pre- from a sermon. Uh, someone told me, you know, it takes a lot of humility to think God's Word has something better to say than I do. <laughs> I think that goes along with the expository preaching idea. Let our words be few. Let, the, not, let it be the Scripture that comes. Let it be the proclamation of God's Word and not just man's idea, the preacher's ideas. Let our words be few. And then, for a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice by many words. What is this? A dream comes with much business. That could be hard to understand. We often think of dreams as being something positive, right? We, we think, dream big! Go after those dreams, right? We think, let's, let's have a dream for what we want this church to be. But it's in contrast here with the fool's voice, or not contrast, but it's parallel to the fool's voice with many words. I don't think he's talking about a, a positive thing whenever he says a dream comes with much business. I think he's talking about just whatever the mind can conceive. Whatever we can kind of dream up on our own, whatever we can kind of make up, that comes with much business. And, and as you look earlier in Ecclesiastes, the business that God has given man is a vain thing. A dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. He continues on talking so much about communication. God cares how we worship Him, and He cares very much about our speech. That what we say, what we sing is true. That we really mean the things that we're singing about Him. And so often we can come and we can just say the same words without even think about what's up on the screen. We just sing it by habit. God cares about what we say. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For He has no pleasure in fools. Giving our word is a form of worship. Everything we do is a form of worship. 
For believers, we need to do everything to the glory of God. So when we're in a business transaction, we need to be people of our word. We vow something. We say, I'm going to do something. We follow through. We keep our word. And if we promise something to God, we must keep it. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you vow and not pay. It's better that we not make any promises saying, God, I'm going to do this if you give me this. And then we never follow through. Verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Our mouth can trap us up so many times. We say something, we may have good intentions, we really mean that we're going to follow through with this promise. But God cares. Whenever it comes to the point where it's time to pay... Where it's time to follow through and keep our word, it will do no good to just say it was a mistake. I didn't really mean it. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Vanity, vanity. The preacher says this over and over again. All is vanity. Apart from God, life is just vanity. When dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. We often get the wrong idea. We, we're not to... Fear him as a, as a kind of a dread. We, we, we are afraid to talk about the fear of God. Because we think of fear like, I don't want to be around God. Uh, he, I'm frightened of him. You know, perfect love casts out fear. <laughs> the Bible tells us we are to fear him, but it's a certain kind of fear. It is, it is a fear that we reverence God. We ought to be frightened, but not not a dread. He accepts us as sons and daughters when we trust in Jesus. He accepts us in the Beloved. There ought to be a healthy fear. A fear that keeps us from sinning. A fear that remembers God is watching us. Everything we do is, is under His gaze. And everything he do, he see, he sees the the heart. He sees our actions. He sees our heart. He sees all the intentions of our mind. To know that he's watching us all the time that should make us fear him. Now, what does this mean to us? How do we apply this? Um. He cares how we come to worship Him. I'm going to begin with that. Um, There are some denominations, and and I'm not going to be critical here. 
some denominations that put things like this into practice in ways that we might think are a little strange. Um, I'm not judging that. Consider uh, the real strict traditional Church of Christ, right? They, they sing in, uh, without any instruments, right? It's all a cappella. And the reason they do that is because of things like this. I don't think we should make fun of that or think, well, they're just old-fashioned. They're convinced in their mind that God requires them to worship that way because when we see in the Old Testament, praise Him on the cymbal, praise Him on the stringed instrument, they would say, that's an Old Testament ordinance. And they would say, well, well that, you don't see that in the New Testament, so we don't do that. Now, I would argue, we do see that in the New Testament. We see in Colossians where it says, uh, praise Him with uh, 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 psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and uh, just for the sake of argument, you could say that a psalm is, by nature, the, that kind of music is instrumental music. The, the word there for, the word psalm, it actually comes from the word that means, the verb that means to pluck. So maybe a psalm would be in a stringed instrument, music, music with a stringed instrument. I don't, I don't describe this to, to judge it, but I say... We should be so concerned about how we worship. If God has commanded something, and if He's not commanded it, do we have the right to innovate with something that He's not commanded? Then also, there are some denominations who only sing the Psalms. They won't sing any hymns or anything. They just sing the Psalms. And that would be a way they practice this principle about God caring about how we worship Him. Now remember, Colossians tells us sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think the Scriptures give us that liberty that when we come together to worship, we can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We make melody in our heart together, praising God. Our worship should be focused and and regulated by the way God has revealed to us. What did the early church do? We see in the book of Acts how the, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the Lord's Supper and to fellowship. That's the things that the early church devoted themselves to. Those are the things that ought to characterize our worship. Prayer. The Lord's Supper. Hearing God's Word proclaimed. The Apostles' teaching. And fellowship. The love that we share together. In 1 Timothy, Paul gives us the instructions... Uh, He gives us the qualifications for pastors and for deacons. He follows that up saying, I'm telling you these things so that you know how to conduct yourselves in the house of God. How we conduct ourselves as a church. The way we select officers. The way we select a pastor, deacons, or anything like that. God has something to say about that. He's written these things 
so that we would know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. But ultimately, I, come, I think it comes down to this. Those Old Testament regulations are pointing forward to Jesus, are pointing forward to Christ. When I say God cares how we approach Him, God cares how we come to Him, I think the words that we really need to pay attention to are John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to me. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to come to Him. The Colossians passage talks about man-made religion. Trying to fix yourself up and make yourself better through fasting and all kinds of asceticism. That's treating the body harshly for a spiritual purpose. And Paul says that has no value in our battle against the flesh. The way that God has instructed us to come to Him is only through Jesus Christ. It is through His blood alone. We cannot come to Him by trying to be a good person. We cannot come to Him through ecstatic experiences in worship. If we try to come to Him just by coming and and singing songs together that get us at an emotional high, how do we know we're not just worshiping an idol? If we just sing generic songs about a generic God and it gives us this emotional high, but we're not putting our faith and trust in Jesus and the cross... In His blood that was shed for us. There is only one way to come to God. And that is through Him. Through Jesus. We can't make up a way to come to God. Every religion in the world. Apart from Christianity is self-made religion. It's man's attempt to get to God. But God has revealed to us how to approach Him. He's revealed Him in His Word, and He revealed it whenever He sent His Son to live among us. God became a man. He lived a sinless, spotless life. And He gave Himself up on a cross for you and me. He died the death that you and I deserve. That's the only way we can come to Jesus, to come to God. It's through the blood of Jesus. He died and He not only died, He rose from the dead and He's coming again. He he ascended into heaven and He's coming again. And we will all stand before Him in judgment one day. And it is our duty to flee to Him. Flee to Christ. He is our shelter. When the wrath of God comes, we will be hidden in the rock of ages. In Jesus. I've heard a preacher tell a story. There was a king who looked out 
his window and he saw there was a little boy picking flowers for the king, except the the flowers that he was picking were weeds. And those weeds would never be acceptable to the king. So the king turned over to his son and he told his son, go out there to where the little boy is. And I want you to pick the kind of flowers that you know that would be acceptable to me. That you know are, are good flowers. And I want you to give those to the little boy so that he can give me acceptable flowers. So the son goes out and he picks the right flowers. He gives them to the little boy. The little boy comes in, hands them to the king. And the king says, well done. This is exactly what pleases me. That's what we, that's a picture of us. All of our works, all of our imaginations on how we could please God. No matter how hard we try, we will all fall short. We have to have the Son who gives us His righteousness. Who gives us His flowers. So that we can truly please the King. If we try to worship Him and we haven't been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, if we haven't been, as one parable says, dressed in the wedding garments, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Or do you just come... Because you like the singing? Did you like the fellowship? Do you come because it's the morally acceptable thing to do? The only way to God is by trusting in Jesus. Trust in Him. Trust in Him today. Mm-hmm.